whatever. So I'll try not to do that. But I'm thankful. I'm thankful to see my dad. I know my husband said that. He totally surprised us. And I'm glad for that. I get to see him one more time. It's kind of an unexpected time to get to see you. So thankful for that. It's always good to, if you don't live around family, then it's just always good if you get an opportunity to see family, um, not just church family, but, you know, like blood relatives. So I'm thankful to see him tonight. And I am just ready to go. I told my husband, like he said, that, you know, if there was a topic, but I kind of knew it was coming because the Lord was dealing with me about something. So isn't that nice how he works it out like that? He makes us all aware before we're even aware, right? Does that ever happen to you, Brother Walker? All the time. <laughs> He's doing it now. Okay, well. <laughs> but if we could, before I begin teaching, I'm not going to have you stand again, but if you could just pray with me um, that God would just speak to us through his word. Lord, Thank you so much for allowing us to be here together like this, and I thank you for your word, O oh God, and I pray that you would help us, Lord Jesus. Help us. We want to learn from your word, and we want to be open to what you want to teach us. I pray that you would fill my mouth with your words and with what it is that you want to be delivered here tonight, and that you would open our ears, that we could hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was recently given an opportunity um, that I haven't fulfilled yet, but I'm hoping to, and I'm going to try it out on you tonight. How's that? Um, I was asked to write a uh, entry for a devotional that's going to be released later this year for women in ministry. So uh, it, there'll be an upcoming daily devotional, it'll be a, a year-long devotional, and they gave me the topic, How to Be Teachable or how to let God teach you. And to be honest with you, they, I didn't pick the topic. They just gave it to me. I don't know if they looked at me and thought, she knows how to be teachable. My husband would be like, look again. Just kidding. <laughs> My dad might be like, look again. I don't know. But they gave me this topic, and I thought, well, I mean, I really probably need to dive in and figure out, am I teachable? And if so, how has that happened? And if not, how can I make it happen? How can I make it happen? So I know this is not a topic that just women or young women need to hear, but all of us could stand to be reminded to reflect on whether or not we are teachable. So go ahead and ask yourself in your mind, am I teachable or not? How, how, do I let God teach me? So ask yourself and answer it in your mind. And then maybe when you're done, we're done, you can ask yourself the same question. See if your answer has changed at all. But I'm going to start in a familiar portion of scripture that you might not think is where I would go. But I want to start with an Old Testament scripture that a lot of times we use as a warning. Especially when we see somebody who's um, maybe backsliding or doing something that we know goes against the word of God. Um, we think of this scripture, or we quote this scripture, especially if they're bucking against the authority that God's placed in their lives, whether it's uh, pastoral or parental. A lot of times we use the scripture parentally, and you've probably thought it in your mind, or you've thought of someone as I've talked. But if you've already guessed it or not, it's 1 Samuel 15, 23. It says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. That's how it starts. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Now, how many of you have like thought that in your mind when you've 
seen a situation or said it to somebody or said it about somebody. I just want to take a moment. When I think of this, and, and I know I've just looked at the beginning, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. When I look at this scripture, I have wondered and pondered, is this a comparison or are the two tied together? And I have to be honest with you, as in our rebellion and witchcraft tied together. And I have to be honest with you, I think that as a, as a biblical principle, you can just read this scripture and see the biblical principles that are, that are there about rebellion and about stubbornness, and we'll get there. But, but is rebellion and witchcraft tied together? And again, this is kind of off topic, but I want to just talk about it for a second. I think I have thought about this, and I have looked at it, and I have looked at certain things about our culture. And in my mind, I think that it is extremely possible that the two can be tied together, rebellion and witchcraft. And the reason that I felt that is because in starting to look at this and starting to study it, it's funny how everything in life just seems to kind of, you know, God sets you up to see and to learn things. And we really are facing culturally a time that is filled with rebellion. I mean, you see it. You look around, and there's just a lot of rebellion that's happening, whether it's in the church or just outside of the church. I mean, you can't go to school and pick up your kids without seeing rebellion. I don't even, I don't think I could be a teacher today. Sister Missy, I don't know how you do it. I'm sure you face rebellion on a daily basis every single day working in a school. I actually read a statistic that 55% of teachers plan to retire after this year. I don't know if that's true or not, but I hope it's not because it's scary. But there's just so much rebellion. But I think, to, I thought about this and I thought, how can we be surprised as parents or people who are in positions of authority by the rebelliousness of our kids if we are allowing them to fill their minds with witchcraft? And I know that some of you are like, what are you talking about, Sister Brown? But I ask you this question, what are they watching? What are they reading? And what music are they listening to? Now, my dad is here tonight, so he can tell you this is true. But me and my husband laugh about this all the time. There were certain things in our childhood. We, we grew up watching cartoons and watching movies. There were certain cartoons in our childhood. They were off limits. We could not watch Captain America. Wasn't allowed because it was like Captain Planet. Yeah, Captain Planet. <laughs> because it was all like about the world and Mother Earth and all that stuff that was not biblical. <laughs> I remember getting, we couldn't watch the Power Rangers. There was a lot of magic stuff going on in there. <laughs> but we weren't, a, the, my parents made the decision we weren't going to watch these things. There was other things that we weren't allowed to watch. Um, and we kind of laugh or we chuckle about them. But there are things and messages in the things that we are allowed to watch and are allowed in our home that can tie us to this spirit of rebellion. I find it very interesting dealing with the level of rebellion that we're dealing with that in the last 20 years, the most popular children's book series is, can you guess? Harry Potter, which is very openly the story of a young wizard who goes to witch school. And it's cute. It seems cute to us. But if biblically this is tied to rebellion, is it any shock that there is a spirit of rebellion among young people? So what are they watching? 
What popular TV show is just allowed in your home at any time, at any point? Are you paying attention? Because if you just go Google it, most children's shows have some form of witch, vampire, zombie, something going on, even small for small children. And while this is not my point tonight, I just needed to pause for a moment and say that we have to be more diligent and try the spirits that are behind what is entertaining our children. Do we just have an open door policy for witchcraft in our homes? And if so, is it breeding rebellion in our kids? So back to 1 Samuel 15, 23. The commercial break is over. But what I find very interesting about this scripture is, is actually the second part, the part that we don't look at too often. And it says, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. So how many of you have heard before tonight, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft? By the raised hand. You've heard rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. How many of you also knew that that scripture said stubbornness is as, as iniquity and idolatry? Okay, not as many hands went up by far. But it says that, just as though witch, rebellion and witchcrafts are tied together, stubbornness and iniquity and idolatry. So knowing that part, referring to that, unlike rebellion, which none of us want to be associated with, we tend to wear stubbornness as a badge of honor. Our culture believes that stubbornness can lead us to success. And if you don't believe that, just Google is stubbornness good or bad? And there are way more articles and blog posts out there considering it a virtue than a fault. Have you ever heard a parent refer to their child as stubborn in a way that let you know that they believe this was an asset? Oh, they're so stubborn, just like their dad. Right? And we almost say it more as a, it's a compliment than a bad thing. Because we believe it will be something that will help them assert themselves later in life or make them better or more than. But with self-reflection, can we say that we have faced situations and blamed our stubbornness because we came through them? Well, the only way I made it through that was because I was just stubborn enough to hold on. So in essence, I've glorified my stubbornness and made it a badge of self-reliance. I am the reason that I came through this. Yet here in scripture, we read stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Being stubborn is as sin and idol worship. In the Old Testament time that this was written in, it was given that idol worship was specifically the worship of idols, and specifically here, small idols that could in fact even be carried around in your pocket. So why did God make this comparison? I believe stubbornness can cause us to be so dependent on ourselves that we take God in and out of our pocket, bringing him out only when it's convenient for us. Idol worship is not so prevalent in the day we live in. We don't just walk in people's houses and immediately think, these are idol worshipers. In the context, though, of our relationship with God, as a Christian, an idol can be anything that I put before or in front of him. 
anything that I give more trust to and more reverence to over the Lord is an idol. Maybe it's my career. Maybe it's my home. Possibly it's my family or money or sports or school. Anything can become an idol if we are not careful to first put God before it. He needs to be in first place. One of the things that we are in danger of becoming an idol is self. And I think this is one we're really fed into today, in today's world, that self can become such an idol because we have to depend on ourselves. Only you can do it. Or you're enough. Or you're more than enough. That self can become an idol and self-worship can become a problem. And isn't that what stubbornness really is? A self-reliance to the point of giving ourselves credit or praise for what we have been able to accomplish or push through. It's really just another form of pride and it is the opposite of being teachable. To be stubborn. It's the opposite of being teachable. And I need to be teachable. The book of Proverbs tells us that fools despise wisdom and instruction. It says that fools hate knowledge. It says that a fool despises his father's instruction. You know why I like Proverbs? Because if I just walked around pointing at people and saying, that is foolish. You're a fool. They wouldn't like me very much. But if I just go around quoting scripture and you are pricked in your heart and convicted, that is not my fault. (laughs) But fools don't like to learn. Fools are stubborn to the point of not wanting instruction. I'm going to do it my own way. I hate knowledge. I hate wisdom. And to refuse to learn is a foolish way to live. To consider yourself an expert on your own life with no counsel and no additional instruction is the way of a fool. But someone who the Bible calls wise, Proverbs gives us very contrasting characteristics. It says, a wise man will hear and will increase learning. Hear instruction and be wise, Solomon says. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. The wise in heart will receive commandments. Wise men lay up knowledge. Being teachable, learning, having a heart ready to learn is considered wise in the Bible. It's linked together, wisdom and being teachable. You don't know everything yet, right? Anybody know everything right now? Does anybody's spouse think they think they know everything? No, I'm teasing. (laughs) I'm not still teaching a marriage retreat. I forgot. (laughs) But the first step to being teachable is recognizing that I need to learn. It's saying I need to learn. I've got to be humble enough to admit that I need to be taught. And God recognizes that desire to learn, to know him, to know his ways, and he responds with a willingness to teach us and give us grace that we need to retain what he's teaching. I love that, and I I think it's in James, it says if we lack wisdom, we can just ask him. We just ask him. 
and he wants to give it to us. You can ask every day, God, give me wisdom for what I'm going to face this day. And he'll give it to you. The gospel of John says that he will lead and guide us into all truth. And John also records the word of Jesus that the Holy Ghost will teach us all things. The Lord wants to teach us. He desires to teach us. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to understand his word and the way in which he wants to teach us. So what are some of the ways that God chooses to teach us? First off, we have to recognize we have personal responsibility to learn and to seek God. We've got a personal responsibility. We've got to do our part. There are things out there. He doesn't ha- we don't have to have a great new revelation. We don't have to have a great new word from the Lord. It's there. We can learn and seek God and become teachable through prayer. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30 says this, Come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He goes on to say, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. He says, Learn of me. I think the best way to learn of the Lord is to pray. It's in prayer that we learn his nature and his presence and his power and his peace. It's in his presence that we understand and know his character. It's in times of prayer that we become familiar with him. I know you all thought I was going to go to the word first because that's my candy stick, right? And I love the word of God. And I find, and we'll get there, so many treasures in the word. So much is there for me to learn. But how much better is the word when I am familiar with the one who's written the word? With just being in his presence. And I think a lot of times we can get out of balance. Some people really like to read the Bible, so they don't pray as much because they feel like they got all they needed out of the Bible. And some people just really like to pray, and they say they don't have time for the Bible because they've already prayed. Because maybe one's, it's, you know, maybe one's easier than the other for them, or maybe one comes more naturally for them than the other. But, Brother Andy, how crazy would it be if you just said, I really love my wife, but I only like when she texts me. I don't really like spending time in the same room as her. It'd be a problem. <laughs> but how much so is it the same when we're with the Lord and we're just like, Lord, I really just want to read your word. I don't actually want to spend any time with you. I don't really want you to talk to me, and I don't really want to talk to you. These things go hand in hand. That's why it's beautiful that we have things like our relationship with our spouse, and we can think and look at it as though we look at our relationship with the Lord. It's such a reflection of earthly relationships, knowing people only after you spend time with them face to face. I've got to know the Lord through prayer, and I've got to know him through Scripture. Romans 15, 4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. The scriptures were written so that we could learn from them. 2 Timothy 3, 15 says that from a little child you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. 
Scriptures are there for us to learn and to make us wise. This is probably the most obvious form that he chooses to teach us. Like a textbook, we have instruction from the Lord that reaches into every area of our life. And I promise you, there is no situation, there is no circumstance, there is nothing going on in the world to which the word does not have an answer. I know you're thinking, well, I'm going to bring you a doozy after church. It's there. It didn't surprise God. No circumstance, no situation, no craziness in the world has surprised the Lord yet. And it never will. We are responsible to take full advantage of these areas in our lives. And there are consequences if we don't. If we don't look at the word and learn from the word, there are consequences. If we look at the scripture that we read, 1 Samuel 15, 23, King Saul has disobeyed the Lord. You could go and read the story, but he's disobeyed the Lord. He's disobeyed the law of God. And it's very blatant and it's very obvious. And 1 Samuel 15, 23 goes on to say, Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, which is the opposite of learning. I've rejected it. I'm not going to do it. Because you've rejected it, he has also rejected you from being king. We see rebellion and stubbornness going hand in hand with rejecting the word of the Lord. And in turn, God rejecting Saul, the rebellious and stubborn king. The Bible, it's a starting point for allowing him to teach us that word that Saul rejected, that Saul did not follow after. It is a starting point for him to to teach us. If we know his word, we will know his voice. And if we know his word, we will know his will. I'm really, I'm going to keep referring to you today, dad. I hope that's okay. I will never forget a conversation that I had with my dad and I was 16 years old. And I just, I, or 17, but I just wanted the will of God. Oh, it's just, I was so spiritual. I just needed the will of God. How am I going to know the will of God? And we were in the car driving and he just said, well, the word of God is the will of God. That's it. <laughs> Do the word and you'll be doing the will. We make it so complicated But if you want to learn the will of God for your life, learn his word. If I'm wrong about that story, Dad, you can correct me later. But it served to be well all this time, so. (laughs) Isn't it interesting that when humanity chose a king, King Saul, it was disobedient and prideful Saul that they chose. But when God chose a king, it was a humble shepherd, David, who would write the psalm, teach me to do your will for thou art my God. David exhibited a teachable spirit throughout his life, even the bad parts. If you examine his writing, you will find, above all, that David loved and meditated on God's word. The word teaches us. But it's not just prayer. It's not just the Bible that God utilizes to teach us. Aren't you glad? Some people, they don't like lectures. They don't like reading books. They're hands-on, right? Who in here is a hands-on learner? Well, God's got something for you, too. You have an opportunity to learn, too. He teaches us through hearing the word taught and preached, right? 
God has given us a pastor to teach us and inspire us through his word. And we need a pastor. We need teachers in our lives. Pastors bring us the word of God. Pastors encourage us in our walk with Christ. And pastors equip us to do the work of ministry. We need pastors. You need a pastor so you can do ministry. Did you know that you were created to be a minister? You were created to be working in the body of Christ. And when you are taught the word of God and preached to from the word of God, it is equipping you. It is equipping. Sister Brittany, I'm going to pick on you for a minute, and I hope that's okay. But when when my brother-in-law was here a couple weeks ago, he talked about people doing what they saw their pastor do and coming up and worshiping. And you have done that. And I appreciate that. You have seen something in the word of God. It has exposed to you and you did it. And I believe God's going to bless you for that. That is being teachable. That is saying, I'm going to try that. I'm going to do that. We have the opportunity to learn through teaching, through preaching, but also through the lives of others. Through the lives of other people. Have you ever saw someone and thought, I want to be where they are? We got What are they doing? Have you ever thought, saw somebody and thought, I never want to be where they are? What are they doing? <laughs> it's a two-way street. But 1 Corinthians 4, 6 says, he, Paul says, all I'm doing right now, friends, is showing how these things pertain to Apollos and me so that you will learn. I'm showing you so that you will learn. 2 Corinthians 3, 2, he says, and this is a principle that we can learn from. You are an epistle known and read of all men. You, by your life, are showing and teaching people. One way or the other. You, by your life, are showing and teaching your kids. They are reading you up and down like a book. They're reading every time you're at church and every time you're not. They're reading every decision that you make in your home and every decision you don't make. But you are being read. We learn by living examples. And there are good living examples. And there are bad living examples. Have a conversation with someone that you look up to, a Christian that you look up to. Talk to them about their spiritual disciplines, about the things that they do about the things that are happening in their life, there might be something that you could catch on, that you could see, that you could do. And then the bad living examples. Can we learn from their mistakes? In the Old Testament, we see Israel, and over and over again, it's like every couple hundred years, they just start from scratch, and they're back to where their forefathers started. And reading it from above, knowing the whole story, you just get so frustrated, and you're like, couldn't you just learn from the mistakes of those that were before you? But don't we do the same thing? Consistently making mistakes that we've seen other people make and not learning from the results of their mistakes. They're probably going to be the same. Yes. It's not going to turn out different for you. We need others to help teach us. And that's another reason why stubbornness doesn't work. Because we can't do everything ourselves. We can't 
completely be self-reliant because it is an enemy of the body of Christ. Being completely self-reliant, depending only on self to learn, to be taught, to grow, it is an enemy of the body of Christ. You've, I've seen it with my own eyes. Somebody starts to isolate. Somebody starts to depend on themselves. And before you know it, they're just no longer a part of the body. They're not there anymore. You know, pride comes in a lot of different forms. It can come in a form that says, I'm going to do this. I can do it all by myself. But it also comes in the form of poor old me. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares. That's just another form of pride. We've seen it happen. We can probably think of people. Experience teaches us. So we're learning from prayer. We're learning from the word. We're learning from preaching and teaching. We're learning from the lives of others, whether it's mistakes or things that have been done victoriously. And we're learning through experience. And not just our own experiences, but the experiences in the lives of others. Philippians 4, 11 through 12 says, I have learned, Paul says, I've learned that in whatever state I'm in to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He's learned through experience through the things that he went through. And there's some pretty extensive lists in some of the letters he wrote. As I was going through this lesson, I was reading at the same time in my daily devotion the story of Samson. And the story of Samson is, if you want to learn from somebody's mistakes, there's a lot. Samson is a man who had parents that had a relationship with God. He had parents who did their best to follow the word of God. But when it came to their son, Samson, they were completely blind. They wanted him to have what he wanted. They wanted him to be happy. Perhaps they felt sorry for him because he was different than other boys. So they just wanted him to be happy. I know I have been on this parenting kick lately, and I'm sorry. But we, somebody's teaching our kids, guys. Somebody is teaching our children. And it better be us. So here's these parents, and you can see it in the narrative. Go read the story of Samson. You can see it. Samson says to his dad, there is a girl over in the Philistines, and she is what I want. Go get her for me for a wife. And the dad says, isn't there somebody here in the church that you like? He said, no, that's the one I want. And there is no more discussion from his parents. They just, they just go get her. I mean, Samson, he was different. He was odd. He was strange. But he was exactly what God created him to be. Our kids look a little different. They act a little strange. My daughter plays basketball in a skirt. 
It's a little weird. Sometimes I feel a little sorry for her, but I'm not going to change. And I'm thankful that my parents didn't change. So they just did what Samson wanted. And we see in Judges 14 that Samson, looking at this Philistine woman who was their enemy, says she's what makes me happy, and they go get her. There's a lot of stories within a story here at Samson, and there's a lot of lessons to be learned. As you go through this chapter of Samson, of Judges, you see in the story of Samson that Samson's parents trusted Samson, and they shouldn't have. They shouldn't have trusted him. He pulled honeycomb from a dead lion and gave it to them. He made them unclean according to the law. They shouldn't have trusted him. They should have questioned him. They should have pushed harder. We are not doing our kids any favors by just trusting them to make up their own minds and to live their own lives. Now I'm talking about children that are not adults. But our kids who are not adults, their brains are not developed yet. You are where you at you are at because of the things that God has brought you through. Your kids have not yet gone through some of those things, and I hope they never have to. But we are not doing them any favors by just wanting them to be happy. I want my kids to be happy, but I really want them to go to heaven more than I want them to be happy. So here's this, their son has polluted their lives. He marries this young lady that he just can't live without, and the first thing that happens is she sells him out to his enemies. The marriage is no more. Samson allows his anger to control him. He uses this supernatural strength for his own benefit. His wife is given to his best man. He gets mad. He gets hurt. For a while, it seems like maybe he is kind of fulfilling what God's wanting him to do. But then the same old hang-up. Samson didn't learn. It's a woman, and he's back in a mess. Worse than ever. And this is the story we know, right? Samson and Delilah, we know this one. Delilah gets the secret. Just cut his hair. His strength will be gone. The covenant will be broken. So that's what happens. Samson. His covenant is taken. He's without power. And it is when there is no one else there to save him, no one else there to feed into his whims, that Samson gets real with God. There's no place lower to go than where Samson is, blind and a slave, with no hope of ever returning to his former glory. And he prays that God would remember their covenant. He does, the Bible says that he does more in his death than he had ever done in life. From birth, Samson had 
the very power of God in him in a way that no one else has ever experienced, this supernatural strength. And that strength and his eyesight and his freedom were hefty prices to pay for the lesson that he had to learn, to build a teachable spirit within him. You know, Hebrews 11 mentions Samson as a man of faith. He's just there real quick. It's, it's one of the quick ones. And I don't even have, the, the Bible names several of, in the hall of faith, and then quickly it says, and I don't even have time to go on about Gideon or about, yeah, and about Samson. And Samson's in there. And when you read the story of Samson, you're like, what? Why is he there? But I believe that if you look at verse 34, is referring to him. And I could be very wrong, but when I read it, I thought of him. It goes on to explain quickly some of the attributes. And it says, those who out of weakness were made strong. The lesson Samson had to learn was that his strength belonged to the Lord. It was not his. It was a very high price and it was a very hard way to learn a lesson. But there are harder ways to learn. And one method that I really don't like and I don't quite understand is mentioned in 1 Timothy 1, 19 through 20, and it says this, holding faith, Paul is writing to Timothy, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan. Why? that they may learn not to blaspheme. I have often wondered how exactly Paul handed these guys over to Satan. Did he verbally announce it? Satan, I'm sending him over. Did he give the men a warning? I've turned you over to Satan. Did he just quit praying for them? Did he ask God to remove protection that had been placed around them? How did he do this? I may have asked because I was wanting to do the same thing. No, I'm teasing. Actually, I'm not. Because I want to see people living for the Lord. I want to see people going to heaven. And we're going to look a little more at this story. But some of us may think that Paul went too far in his response to these unteachable men. But he mentions Hymenus again and gives us further explanation in 2 Timothy 2.15. He says... Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babbling, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenus and Philetus. They are upsetting the faith of some. He was telling them, stand fast in your faith, learn in your faith. And he goes on to say, there are those who are questioning, who are creating controversy, who are stirring things up through their conversation and through what they are teaching. He said, it's like gangrene in the body. It's just spreading. And it's upsetting the faith of some. So we're just going to turn him over to Satan. 
This mishandling of the word of God was so serious. It was stirring up doubt and trouble in the church. So that was the answer. We're just, we will turn them over to Satan. You can actually see it happen so quickly the more that you're around the church. When one person steps into a place of sin very willingly, and what happens is to make themselves feel better about what they are partaking in, they start to belittle the word of God that is being preached or taught or the correction that is trying to be brought in their lives. And they don't do it quietly and they don't do it in their mind, but they do it openly and they do it very sneakily. And it's just an attempt of the enemy to just get in there and make you doubt. Maybe they're right. Maybe that's not so bad. Or better yet, maybe if I do that, nothing bad will happen to me. It hasn't happened to them. But in this practice of Paul turning people over to Satan who are causing controversy, who are causing others to fall and to be filled with doubt, we find 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And it says in verse 1, it is actually reported there is sexual immorality among you. And then he goes on and he touches on a few other sins. And he goes on to instruct in verse 5, you are to deliver this man to Satan. And here's the reason. For the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. You see, Paul understood that in turning over somebody to Satan, it was so that their flesh could be crushed, that their spirits could be saved. It's merciful. It's loving. It doesn't sound very loving, does it? But if I love you enough to say, what happens to you on earth is going to be really hard and really bad, but when you finally make it to heaven because your flesh has been crucified then you'll know the whole purpose for this learning through turning over to satan is so that the spirit may be saved the body is temporary sin is temporary the pleasure of it and paul recognized it if all other forms of teaching have failed in a person's life when walking through whatever fire satan wants to see them in here in the here and now there is a hope of eternal salvation and it's better than watching them live a pleasant life on earth that will lead them to hell we get really wrapped up in temporary It's just a little time. And eternity's forever. That's not scary, that's hopeful. It's so important to be teachable, to allow God to teach us. And often before we can get in a place where God can teach us, we have to go to a place where our stubbornness and our self-reliance is no more. And this means the end of pride. You acknowledge you don't know everything. You don't always get things right. You can't always be the smartest person in the room. You examine yourself. You make room in your mind and your heart that there are steps to being teachable. And it sometimes takes a lot of time to alter or empty yourself of yourself. 
Most of us, we're just full of ourselves. (laughs) We're just full of ourselves. And we cannot be filled with ourselves and with the Lord and his word and what he wants to teach us at the same time. You have to be empty if you want him to fill you. There's a reason it's so important that we become teachable. We receive a warning in 2 Timothy 3. It says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of selves. And it says they will have a form of godliness but deny its power. It goes on to name these things and there's some more, but it ends with this thought in verse 7. It says they are always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. If we're not careful, we can get ourselves in this cycle of always learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. There's phases. We're in a a Christian walk, a race. There's an end, which means there's a process, right? So I've got to get to the next place. Lord, what lesson are you teaching me now? Here it is. I've learned it. I'm moving on to the next one. Here it is. I've learned it. I'm moving on to the next one. There it is. I've learned it. If we keep going through the same things and not learning the same lessons over and over and over again, there's no growth. There's no maturity. We're just ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There is a place where we come to the knowledge of the truth. It's not indefinite. Don't be stuck in a rut. Have you ever heard the saying, when will they ever learn? There's some things we can only learn through submission, and we need the Lord to help us. We need to rely completely on him. You know, some of my favorite scriptures, Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That transformation that happens is a complete emptying to be refilled. We've got to empty ourselves so that we can be teachable. We've got to allow the Lord without a stubbornness and saying, I'm not going to do that part, but I'll do this part. Not compartmentalizing him that he can't every part of our life be influencing us and teaching us. That, that is not a teachable spirit to say, God, I will learn in this area, but I will not learn in this area. That is not a teachable spirit. But a teachable spirit says, God, there is no area of my life that is off limits to you. You have complete control to every area. Even if I disagree, I agree with you. So there's a lot of ways that God can teach us. There's a lot of things that he could bring us through, and there's a lot of ways that we can look at others and recognize, I don't want to go there, or I do want to go there. But first we empty ourselves of 
of ourselves. And we give over all stubbornness and all pride. And we just start. Pray. Read your Bible. Come to church. Do the practical things that you know to be the things. And when you get here and you hear something you don't like, learn it anyway. Learn it anyway. I'm thankful that the Lord wants to teach us. I'm thankful that it's his desire that we think and that we grow, that we not stay stagnant. He wants to do a continual work in, the, in us, and I'm thankful for that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that you want to teach us. Lord, I pray that we would be challenged by this word, O oh God, that we would examine our lives, and that, Lord, if we would look at our lives and, and say that we are not teachable, that we have dug in our heels in certain areas, Lord, I pray that we would totally become clay to you so that you could be able to shape us, so that you could be able to mold us. God, I want to learn from your word. I don't just want to know it, and I don't just want to hear it, and I don't want to have to go through the same things over and over again, and you show me the same things over and over again, God, without learning them, but I want to come to the knowledge of truth. I want to be wise. I want to make wise decisions, and I want to be known as a person that says, I want to know more of the Lord. I thank you for your goodness towards us, and I thank you for your word, and I pray, Jesus, that you will go with us from this place. We give you all glory and all praise, and we submit to you in Jesus' name. Amen.